0: Welcome to another episode of Artistry, where art meets industry. We are your hosts, Rochelle Etienne Robinson and Stan Substantial Robinson. peace Peace, everyone hello and welcome to another episode of artistry where art meets industry we are your hosts Rochelle etienne robinson and stan substantial robinson today we are so excited because we have a very special guest a dear friend of ours she is a performing artist producer educator and mix engineer. Stunt
1: car driver. Uh, (laughs) Really? Mixologist. I'm playing.
0: (laughs) Please welcome. Oh my God. Please welcome Carolyn Malachi. (laughs) Botanist.
1: Botanist, right, you know what I'm saying?
0: Orange settler. (laughs) (laughs) She does it all everyone, she does it all. Welcome Carolyn, how are you? Thank you for having me, I'm great. How are you? We're good, honey. Taking a day, take a day at a time. Every day at a time. How are you? And how how has your year been?
2: This last year, Hmm. I'm I'm doing really well, and I'm grateful for that. Um, It's been a quiet year. That's the best way I can describe it. Um, Mm -hmm. Just done a lot of introspection and uh, rearranging, and uh, I feel really good about that Mm
1: -hmm. that's dope that's dope and and congrats on uh you know joining the marriage club in the the Mm -hmm. marriage club you put a ring on it honey (laughs) (laughs) congratulations
2: thank you thank you so much i mean it's and we were talking before the show started and i just will say it again it's like uh you know being at a slumber party with your best friend and, you know, your parents never come home,
1: so. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. love that. That's dope, I love that's that. dope. Bars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we're gonna go right into it because there's so much that, you know, we want to learn and share. One of the things that we love about doing this show is, you know, we hang out, we we know, you know, we, we know our friends, we hang out with them. You think you know their story and then you're just like, wait a minute, I never knew that. And so mm-hmm. we wanna definitely, Get into that first and foremost. Um, you are you come from good, good, uh, good stock, good stock, (laughs) shall we say? You are the great granddaughter of jazz pianist John Malachi. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, who also was from you know, well, from North Carolina originally, right? But moved Mm -hmm. to Washington, D.C um as uh you know artists would come in traveling artists would come in he would sit in with them and perform with them Mm -hmm. and so it is sort of skipped a generation then came to you so how does that feel (laughs) to be part of that legacy
2: uh that's a really great question um because i I think about it often but from different perspectives i think as an artist i wonder why I'm drawn to certain things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you fight the, I don't know, sometimes sometimes I think we we try not to be like our elders. We try not to be like Mm -hmm. our parents because we want our own identities. But I love music. He was a musician. Everyone in my family loves music. He was an educator. I'm an educator. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was a mentor. I'm a mentor. Yeah. He's all around great person, and I, I try to be a nice person. So, I think those are all admirable qualities, and uh, you know, not to be shied away from. Um, but so it just feels like I'm, I'm walking my own path, but you know, the the way was sort of paved. I'm just like you know, lining up the pavers.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. What would you say was your first introduction to the arts?
2: Oh, my first introduction to the arts—I think official int- introduction to the arts was through Miss Carol Foster at DC Youth Ensemble mm-hmm. uh, when I was a kid. Uh, we were all of us in, in that group. We, you know, we would do um, you know modern dance, tap, Tera Tibu, which is at like. African gumboot dancing mixed with Mm -hmm. like chanting and singing, uh, definitely the theater arts. So that, in rehearsals used to be at like UDC and then old Brown Junior High School Mm -hmm. over near RFK. And I remember very specifically that that uh, experience was not easy at all because she was a very strict um, instructor and trained all of the other instructors to be uh, not harsh, but to demand excellence mm. and to um, make sure that we continued to practice or, you know, perfect our routines. And uh, we weren't allowed to stop until, you know, what we were presenting was perfect. And I, I know that that left an, an indelible impression mm-hmm. on me.
1: Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Just to uh, uh, circle back real quick. I wanted to ask you, because um, while we're thinking about like when uh, you were introduced to the arts, uh, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you like how much you knew about your great grandfather um, um, prior or if it was mm-hmm. something that kind of came up as you started to dive more into your creative zone.
2: Yeah. So it was I I didn't get to spend a lot of time with him. -hmm. Um, Because he passed when I was very young. Mm -hmm. But the hey, and fun fact if you looked at my father today, you would be, you would think you'd be looking at the same person. It's weird. They look just alike. Like they have the same hands, everything, same face. It's crazy. But (laughs) (laughs) um, the stories that, you know, I was told about him, it wasn't as, I knew that he was an artist, I knew that he was a musician, but that's not really what my family talked about so much it was like well when you were little he used to call you cookie oh. or you know when um you were little he used to admire the fact that you know sometimes carolyn if you would like stumble a little bit but you would never fall when you were trying to walk mm. and those were the stories that that were told um, it wasn't until i really um got into music that my father and my my uncle, my great uncle would start to tell me these stories about like him hanging out with Dexter Gordon or Sarah Vaughn wow. and like, you know, all those, those family stories started to come out and I was very surprised when I was having, um, and I was like really, uh, I think because of the Grammy nomination like kind of forced into the spotlight I think those stories really helped me, um, you know, just yeah. manage my own expectations and then decide how to be in in those kinds of spaces.
0: Yeah, so. you know, you've had an extensive um, career as a performing artist. Um, mm-hmm. You've traveled the world, uh, as you mentioned before, earlier. You know, you are a Grammy-nominated artist uh, for your single Orion. Um, what does it feel like to now have that title? You know forever grammy nominator until of course grammy winner um, you know what does that what does that feel like
1: oh and a uh, quick correction it's uh orion orion i'm
0: sorry <laughs> thank
1: you thank no you problem, no problem No uh
2: no doubt a you know a grammy nomination is a huge honor absolutely it, it, it's uh you know the grammy awards are are peer recognized awards and um it's it's amazing to have you know your colleagues say hey we think this is of you know a, amazing quality we love this work of art and we want to say hey we love this but in the form of uh, a Grammy Award nomination oh man look at that haircut <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it feels really great um, I'm I'm very proud of my service um, when it comes to the Recording Academy, which is the nonprofit um, that produces the Grammy Awards. Um, I I joined as a member 10 years ago, and today I am a member of the Board of Trustees. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of, I, I feel really proud being a part of a lot of the positive changes that are happening at the Academy that I'm quite sure will, you know, create more opportunities for other artists, uh, other independent artists coming down the pipe.
0: I know as as being a performing artist, you've traveled extensively. You've Mm -hmm. been to South Africa, to Asia, to the West Indies. Do you have a favorite location? I
2: do. (laughs) I do. There's a... There's no place like well, there's, there's two and for two different reasons. So for me, there's no place like Johannesburg, mm-hmm. South Africa, um, and I'm very much you know I very much love that place um, because of the experiences I've been able to to have there as an artist, you know, perform there like three or four times and you know stay and be appreciated and mm-hmm. also to just. Learn that was my that was my first so Johannesburg was my first trip to the continent of Africa, wow. and the first time I went, I was you know with Asheru and some other artists from DC. Uh, we were all guests of an artist by the name of Hip Hop Pantsula, and peace. yeah, you know, rest in peace. He's definitely um, a brilliant soul, but. One thing I noticed, and this is why uh, this artist made such a profound impact on me. Um, he, in terms of like popularity mm-hmm. concerned, um, he was very much on the level of like a, a Kendrick um, in South Africa. And we were there with him. I don't want I don't think it was like at, at the height because he got even more popular, but he had a huge fan base, just the kind of person where, you know, they, they go outside, somebody's gonna like scream and, you know, point. Um, and I remember several times we would be, you know, all of us in a group, we would be in like, I don't know, a restaurant or a mall or just, you know, walking down the street. And he always handled those encounters with such grace and such humility, every, and it was just consistent across the board every time. I mean, no matter if, if he was being held up, meaning like if he was going to be late for something, Mm -hmm. he always took time. Uh, you know, to treat people like people and not like obstacles who um, are like in the way of him doing the next thing. And I'll always uh, remember that, and uh, I, I definitely have adopted that, which is difficult because I have a lot of anxiety when it comes to um, crowds. Mm-hmm. But I, I do know his example really, really helped me. Um, you mentioned traveling, so. And right around 2016, I had a you know, I was doing a, a tour throughout China. We were going to like, you know, seven different um areas around the country. And in this one show, it was in like a university gym. It was mm-hmm. like just packed to the rafters. And I I noticed halfway through the through the last part of the show, it was halfway through the encore, um, the lights came up for a second, and I noticed that like there were no people in like the in the nosebleed section anymore. I was like, oh, they must have got tired and left. But <laughs> at the end of the sh- at the end of that song, um, the lights came up again, and I saw that all those people had migrated to the, the front of the stage. Wow. And wow. we said thank you, good night they all rushed the stage and wow. the the boards of the stage were like wow. shaking. But I remember in that moment, the grace of HHP, I was like, well, let me just be calm and try to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not freak out, but there were literally hundreds of people, um, you know, climbing onto the stage. and. Um, Mm. Uh, um, yeah, that was, that was nuts. So anyway, I, Johannesburg for sure. And then, uh, St. Thomas,
1: mm. St. Thomas. Yeah. yeah. It, it's it's St. Like, Thomas. I mean, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. The beaches. Right. Yeah. Like, listen, yeah. I could, yeah. I could picture it the moment you said it, you know what I mean? So yeah, look, we, we get it.
2: Moggin's <laughs> Bay. I mean, it, the funny thing is I never actually performed, on Saint Thomas or in Saint Thomas, I had mm-hmm. a, I had a four month long cruise ship gig, mm-hmm. and like you know, two days a week I'd be in Saint Thomas. But it was all, something about that night of that show that night on the ship in Saint Thomas. I don't know. Those are always my best shows. Something Man. about that energy. I don't know. Maybe the my ancestors came through there. And I, maybe <laughs> it's the water. Who knows? Like I in love the water. that place. Yeah.
3: <laughs> oh,
0: that's, <laughs> that's great.
3: Sense. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
0: as a performing artist, a vocalist, you have um, been associated with blues, soul, jazz, Afrobeat, house. You know, how would you define your style? Hip
1: hop. Hip hop. Hip hop. Yes. I Listen. mean,
3: collaborations.
1: No, but I, I had to make sure because I remember hosting the one event. <laughs> And I'm introducing her, and and I and I forget to mention that she got bars as she, she rapped, got
0: balls, honey. And she
1: was and she made sure to remind me. I was like, "My bad, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry." But yes, so we gotta make sure we stay yes, hip hop
0: and hip hop, yeah,
1: because because Carolyn is the truth. I want to. I want to. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> How would you define your style?
2: I'd say it's evolving, mm. and. I think I've just recently given myself permission to to evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's taken about a decade to get back to where I was before I felt like I had to fit in again. Mm-hmm. So I'm over that. And now I'm just writing from that very, very pure and curious place um, and I think I, maybe I should expound a little bit just in case anybody who is listening and wondering um, or, or are interested in hearing more about this part of the journey. So um, I think there was a time when music for me was the release valve mm-hmm. and you know, when I was writing or in the studio or performing you know it was like I, I'm i sharing something and I'm presenting this energy that is allowing me to feel better and there was a moment when that switched and it was a and it wasn't that the music was the release valve for me it was music was the stressor of so much stress and so much force into the music now. and I think my music really started to, to sour a little bit and um I feel like I'm back in that place where I, I'm a little bit wiser now like I don't have to I'm not stressing the music you know I'll, I'll put the stress in life or, or wherever else it needs to go but music needs to continue to be that release. Valve for me, like that that fun, yeah. yeah. So I'm having fun again, and I'm grateful for coming back to that.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I I completely hear that. I know for us, you know, Stan and I, we met at Pratt. You know, going to mm-hmm. art. when you go to an art and design school, you know, for at least for me, I speak for myself. Like, you know, people have. You grown up talk people telling you, "Oh, you're so good." You know, this is this is what you do. This is your passion. This is your purpose. Da, da, da. And then when you go to art school, mm-hmm. it becomes work. You know, yep. it wasn't fun anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that happens to a lot of artists when mm-hmm. it sort of becomes work. You know, as important as it, you know, as the business side is, but it's, it's easy to lose out on the fun and then yes. join the joy side of it.
2: Yes, you you know that's I think it's really critical what you said. Um, for a lot of artists the dream is to be able to work full time in our craft Yep, and that's my dream and I get to live it I'm really grateful for that doing it however um, and being happy I think requires expanding maybe our view of what in your craft means Mm -hmm. so I want to say 2014. I thought that meant just performing all the time, mm-hmm. and so that is the moment when the music became the work, yeah, the in, the job, mm-hmm. and it became about you know, like getting the gigs. I and mean, I definitely went into like a survival mode, and I wasn't thriving. But it's okay to do things like if you want to work within your craft. I mean. I'll just take it from me. so I, I, for me, the craft is music, and you think about it as like one big pie. and I, my pie has three sections. It's engineering, music is one section. teaching, you know, music production or teaching audio production, that's another section. And then you know the, the making the art, performing, producing, writing, that's another you know section of the pizza. and all of that is, you know, my little pie craft, <laughs> if mm-hmm. you will. And th- the beauty of that is, I mean, if we, okay, so if we talk about it, like, uh, I don't know, Robert Kiyosaki or one of these people, it's three different streams of income. Yeah. So if that, you know, if during the summer months, you know, I don't want to teach, I don't have to. If during the winter months, I don't want to perform because I'm not really feeling it and it doesn't feel natural or I don't want to write, I don't want to put uh, put out music, I don't have to. Because there are two other streams of active income. Word to artists, if you are able to generate income for yourself, please um, please make a way to save for and invest. Because you definitely want, know um, as a creative person, you want something that's going to generate income for you while you sleep. So that you don't have to do things like go into debt to produce your next project. Yeah. Or stress yourself out. Uh, you know, trying to survive, and these things take a lot of time to build, but I, I, they're they're well worth it, and you'll definitely see the results if you're changing. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Listen, uh, you know, you got me <laughs> over here thinking I was like, man, I feel like I need to develop like uh, a button with a sound that whenever a guest that we bring on the show brings up passive income, especially if we aren't the ones that bring it up, because we teach these workshops, mm-hmm. educating people on passive income all the time. And mm-hmm. um, and it was a, a, a large reason why, like last year was one of our most successful years as a company, because prior we just would do these workshops around the country in different places. And we just mm-hmm. kept talking to people about exactly what you were talking about and and what happens, you know, God forbid, if things stop or you can't travel. And this mm-hmm. is prior to the pandemic happening that we were saying this and then it happened. And so like our phone and our email was getting blown up. And um, so, yeah, I, you know, like when I, when I heard you say it, I was like, what button, if there's a thing,
3: <laughs>
1: you know, right. but, it's it's key there is no really successful person or organization that we know of that doesn't have multiple revenue streams and doesn't have at least one of those revenue streams um set up as passive income you know and so it's an important thing to remember but thank you you know
0: yeah i want to talk more about that actually as far as um the different areas, because one of the things you study or actually rather have a master's degree in audio production, what made you decide to study audio production or audio technology rather?
2: Mm -hmm. So that's a good question. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but I didn't start out as a a vocalist or a songwriter at all. I started out doing um, front of house sound like producing in my church, Mm -hmm. the Union Temple Baptist Church in Southeast. Yeah, like I was a little kid going to that church, and um, really, like when I became a preteen, I started going to the control room during services, mm-hmm. <laughs> during the church services. And then, you know, Mr. Dennis was in there, and he would like show me how the faders worked. And wow. it was my job for like a, a, a hot second to record the services, mm-hmm. like make sure they got recorded to cassette, right? <laughs> so <laughs> like, it could be sold after, right, like right after service. And that, like, I think that was my probably my earliest introduction into um economics and recording Mm -hmm. because just watching that process of an event happening, it getting recorded, printed to um to tape, and then those tapes immediately going down to the church bookstore where people would buy them and those funds. Lord, maybe they went to the building fund. I don't know, but those just getting cycled back into the church, right? <laughs> <laughs> seeing that whole, so there could be another service and just seeing that whole cycle. Um, that definitely was educational, but uh, yeah, I started there, and then when I went to college, I produced my first records. I did all the beats for those, and then um, eventually wanted to like. Um, Really, really, just study the craft of you know audio engineering, audio technology, and I didn't know when I'd get back into the studies of it, like real hardcore studies. But I, um, you know, I started teaching at Howard uh, University as an as an adjunct, and you know, the question came up, like, you know, do you are you interested in doing this like full time? Is this something that you're really interested in. And I, you know, by that time, i had like literally fallen in love with it. I mean, my mm-hmm. classrooms are full of mostly, you know, young black women and I'm introducing them to this technology and watching them go from, in a lot of cases, watching students in a few months go from mm, to
1: right, you know, just
2: making it happen. That is, that's so amazing. Cool. You know, like, yeah. that, that's just really incredible. So, but in order to um, take that next step with the university, I had to have that master's degree. Mm -hmm. So I went and I got it and now please don't let so I went and I got it (laughs) please (laughs) that's not like (laughs) it was not a breeze at all definitely had a couple panic attacks um during that time frame oh wow they still have not changed my life okay
1: (laughs) we over here dry snitching
2: I think I'm really sensitive to the picture thing. I
1: don't know.
2: Uh. Look <laughs> at those curls. Anyway, um, <laughs> so this was what in twenty twenty nineteen. No, I graduated December of twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I mean, I know we lost a year to COVID, so time is just warped. Yeah. So um, but during that those two years of grad school, um, I was, you know, performing, teaching, doing internships, uh, taking classes and running my business. And, uh, you know, my husband, God bless him. He was willing to like rock with me for, (laughs) I mean, he has my back forever, but I was like, look for the next two years, babe, I'm probably going to be incognito. And he was like, you know what? I got you, do you, I got you. He was like, I'll take care of, you know, I I got you. I'll take care of you, you're good. So, I mean, I just did what I had to do and, and got through it. And now now when I'm in the classroom or I'm at my gigs, um, I'm, I, I can, well, let me say it this way. The strategic reason for getting a master's obviously was, um, you know, definitely uh, pursuing that opportunity. But, and that's, sorry, that's the strategic reason. The emotional reason <laughs> is and this is the thing that kind of pushed me over the line to do it. I was in Kuwait doing it uh, at a Middle East tour and um, I think this was like 2017. So I was in Kuwait and I was told in advance that all of our like we all of our gear was being like flown in or shipped in for the gig mm-hmm. and you know maybe the engineer would be late or we just have to figure it out. And I was like, okay. So, but we get to the gig and there's no engineer. Everything's in boxes. The monitors, the the board, the instrument, everything's in boxes. And I didn't know what to do. I did not, so, and I realized like at the moment I knew how to operate things. I did know how to put in, anything together. Right. I didn't anything about like, like signal flow for real. And that's like fundamental. Um, so we got to the venue at maybe 10 o'clock in the morning. I called, shout out to Marcus Marshall, cause I called Marcus Marshall. It was like some ungodly hour back here in DC. He walked us through in the process of like connecting everything. We didn't get the entire show set up until like five o'clock in the evening. And like the showtime was at six. Yeah. and my manager ended up running the board while I was on stage. <laughs> so the point being, you know, I just told myself like I, I'm never gonna be powerless like this again never. ever again. So I'm just gonna go to school, I'm gonna get this degree, be able to take this next opportunity. I'm gonna <laughs> suck it up uh because this is important. Absolutely. And I did it, yeah.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Carolyn Malachi. One woman show. A black of all (laughs) No, 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 no,
2: no.
1: The team, the team, team. the invisible
3: team, 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 you can't see. No doubt.
0: Oh my gosh. You know, you mentioned um, you're, you know, going to Howard University and we we have to mention, of course, it is the Mm -hmm. Kathy Hughes School of Communication at Howard University. Mm -hmm. And so... How does it feel to be a part of such a historic institution and to be mm-hmm. able to contribute, particularly mm-hmm. in a in an in a arena that is been, has been historically been very male dominated? It's and very so, male
2: and it's very white.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And so, how how are you seeing it change? Because you, you mentioned a classroom full of women. Mm-hmm. Is, mm-hmm. Are you seeing more of that? Like more women are mm-hmm. are enrolling and, and pursuing this career as a career.
2: Mm-hmm. So I, I'll just say that I went to two PWIs, uh, undergrad and and grad school and being at the HU, um, (laughs) being at Howard uh, in the Kathy Hughes School of Communications, that is a very precious place because students come there to learn how to tell our stories, learn how to tell their stories. And, you know, I'm not in the music department, I'm in communications department. And so all of the students that come to me, you know, they're learning audio production, they're learning audio technology to support their storytelling, Mm -hmm. their compelling, you know, storytelling. And that's, that's a huge, huge responsibility. Um, I just, I, I just feel like it's an amazing honor and... Um, I'm grateful, you know, for every student that comes through the door, even if they don't understand why they have to take this class I'm like, just trust me, just trust me by the end of this, you know, you'll understand, um, you'll understand why, why you need this and you'll be able to, you know, sometimes, you know, be a one woman, you know, unit out there yeah. or one person unit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. You've done some study and some research on black chain technology and data sonification. Can you talk to us about that, what that is?
2: I can speak a little bit about it because um, the project I'm working right now is is proprietary, but (laughs) basically what I am exploring are the intersections between smart contracts and um, data sonification, which is the representation of data as sound. Mm -hmm. I believe there's a way to merge the two in an effort to um, compensate musicians uh, and other performers for doing these um, free to very uh, minuscule (laughs) minimally paid gigs online. Uh, I don't think virtual um, performances are going to go away. And I I do think that we need a way to make sure that folks receive um, an honest pay an immediate pay for uh, the creative services that that we provide. Um, specifically, my focus is Black women. You know, mm-hmm. like women of color, but Black women in particular. Um, especially if you look at the economic fallout of the pandemic, mm-hmm. and you realize who was able to keep their job, who was able to stay home, who's considered essential mm-hmm. but having to be out, you know, exposing themselves and their families uh, mm-hmm. to to the virus. Um, I I definitely am am working right now to to build a system that's going to benefit all creators, but I'm I'm focusing on Black women. Yeah,
1: That's powerful. How has your um, experience been uh, during the pandemic uh, performing virtually? How has, like, you know, uh, how did you pivot and Hmm. how did you um, adapt to it?
2: I have to be honest. um, When... So when the pandemic hit, I think a lot of a lot of artists, you know, the reaction that I saw from a lot of folks was, okay, I don't have any live gigs. Uh, Who can I get a virtual gig from that I can, you know, perform? You know, I kind of fell into that a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I realized that I don't like it much Mm -hmm. because there's no interaction really Mm -hmm. uh, with. The audience, and this is something that else that my research touches on. Um, there's a, you know, and you know, you know this from doing a you know, hundred million, billion, trillion shows. Uh, <laughs> that back and forth with the audience is critical. It doesn't just you know make you feel good as a performer. It tells us where to go. It tells us you know what is where is the audience right now? How are they feeling? Do I need to do this next song next, or do I need to change something around.
3: Right. What do
2: I need to say to keep them motivated? And so when you're performing on a platform where there's one way communication and just you to them and then their feedback to you is, you know, via text or emoji. Like you if you're a musician, you have if you're a bass player and you got both your hands on your instrument, how can you like I'm sure there's a way to do it. I'm sure yeah. there's a way. It's 2021. But it's not easy. And I I really missed that um one to one communication, also one on one communication. Also, I miss um, I just miss hearing the sounds of spaces. Mm. Does that make Does that make sense? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Like, when you perform in a cathedral, and the building is just awash in sound, or like when you do a, a stadium, form a stadium a, at a stadium, and you hear it's just so wild that sometimes so many people can make all right. This might not make sense, but like, the if you compare uh, a whisper or a roar in a, a jazz club to a roar in the stadium, it's two different sonic experiences. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I'm not gonna wax poetic about it, but. There's just there's something about spaces and how sound performs in spaces, different spaces that I really love. That's part of the experience, you know, yeah. for me as a performer. I love it, and I miss I miss spaces, and I miss people, like actually hearing people. Um, and sometimes, like the virtual, like I've been asked to, or I've like I've had like recycle a virtual performance where like I filmed it for one. Uh, entity but then another entity is like yeah just send us that one I'm like that's a little disingenuous to me like that I I did this show for this crew Mm. let's do something for your for your folks something that's authentic Um, so yeah I'm, I'm not the biggest fan but I think I'm I'm hopeful that the research I'm doing now will solve those sonic problems and solve the the issues of communication and solve the issues of prompt, accurate compensation for performers.
0: You know,
1: (laughs) did you want to add? Let the church say amen. (laughs) Amen.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of your work is, uh, you know, is advocacy and you've you said you volunteered with Capitol Hill Jazz Foundation as well as the um, Academy, you know, why do you think it's so important for artists to be involved, um, not only in the business side, but also administration?
2: Mm. Why do I think? So can I rephrase that a little mm-hmm. bit? Sure i'm I'm a big sister. I'm the first born of of three. and i I don't I don't think every artist should be involved in administration. Mm-hmm. I don't think every artist should be in leadership. Some people, their gift is they can focus on one thing and be exceptional at that, and they can make music so brilliant and so wonderful and so consistently that that is what they choose to do. Maybe that's what they feel they need to do. That's what fulfills them. I don't think an artist like that needs to be, you know, teaching or on a board of anything. Mm -hmm. For for me, if they, unless they want to, then whatever. I don't think people should be, I think the point I'm making is I don't think people should be forced into service if it's not for them because that, artists that i just kind of described they might be one to be out on the street protesting they might be you know one to be deliver a very um if they might yeah they might be like a a very in-your-face kind of activist and you need people to do that i can't that's not me right that's not how i i fight or serve like i have to and i know i'm not good at that and i know how that makes me feel but for some people that's their comfort zone and those Folks need to be out there doing that. This is my comfort zone. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, I'm I am the eldest sibling. I'm the firstborn. And when you're the firstborn, that comes with responsibilities. Yep. I know. (laughs) My siblings are seven and eight years younger than me. I'm like parent number three. You know it's kind of like how I approach life. I, I, I like to I like to care for people. I like to make people feel calm. Mm-hmm. I like to make people feel reassured, yeah. and I like to support um, people. And um, that definitely comes from my upbringing, but also, you know, just I think just being a big sister. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, I, I I definitely feel that because I'm the eldest of two as well, two mm-hmm. boys. The youngest and I were 14 years apart. I literally, yeah. was, I could have been his mother. Listen. I totally understand. Yeah,
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely, absolutely. Did you want to say something? I'm, I was the baby, so Uh right. I'm sitting there, like shout, shout out to y'all, y'all. You know, know I'm saying because folks like you uh, kept me with both eyes. So I, I thank you for that. You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) We, you know, the babies, we wild. We're wild. wild. We out here. Yes, yes, you are. You know, we out here. Driving is crazy. You know, yes,
2: absolutely. I don't to you. know when I pick up the phone. What is like one of them calls? What is this gonna be? I don't know what this phone call is gonna be. About. <laughs> I could go either way. <laughs> right, right.
3: Right.
1: Here we go. Right. <laughs> right?
2: How much you need? <laughs> How are you?
1: My- I, I
2: love them. I love. It's
0: him. the truth. It's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um you know you uh, throughout your career you've had the opportunity to work with some notable artists um what would you say were some of your most memorable
2: moments as far as collaborations yeah
3: mm-hmm.
2: like do you mean recording or
0: it could performing? be anything 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 that really that
1: it could be on stage off stage um in the sessions you know things you mm. took away from working with those artists, things of that nature yeah
2: mm. Mm-hmm. I remember so many experiences, (laughs) but I I just remember. I think I have like so many memories and they're all like flying across my face right now. But I think the important thing to say is um, knowing that the folks who Make art um, for a living and really really care about it. Um, a lot of them don't care about being famous mm-hmm. don't care about um, you know driving the fastest car just just want to make our art and yes, we know that comes with you know a certain amount of attention and and, and whatnot but um, not everybody wants to be uh, approached or you know spoken to with with reverence, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when they're in a room of artists. At some point, like I learned, at some point in my career, there was a point in my career I got to, and I was like, "Oh, well, we're all just people here." Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I can dig that, and I appreciate that. And there are a number of um, there are a number of you know rooms that I've been in and experiences I've had where I've I've checked myself. I've been in like <laughs> in like either on stage with or about to perform with uh, or perform in front of or you know somebody who I've been listening to my whole life and feel the urge to go. Oh my god! I just want you to know. My mom used to drive me to school, and I used to sing this song before. We, you know?
1: <laughs>
2: I actually did that once to one person, and she was like, mm, you "Make me feel old." Oh, like, oh yeah. no, my god! Trying to tell you, I love you. <laughs> I told her about. Um, um, I told her about uh, this. I wanted. It's like I said. I wanted to do the second grade talent show with your song, and my mom told me it was too wrong for me. And she was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, I mean, just the the biggest lesson that I've learned so far is that people are just people. And I remember meeting folks who are now, well, I'll say this. So I do want to speak to just being around like Anderson Pack and Kamasi Washington because I
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know had the opportunity to not, not work with them, but you know, you do a show and like they're on the show. And these are names that at that point in time people didn't really like know who they were. It's just like, you know, you have the superstars name on the bill and then it's like artist 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 and it just kind of the name just kind of blends in with every other name and mm-hmm. i remember distinctly these two different situations these two artists like their their names were in small print 10 years later 11 years later mm-hmm. these guys are i mean they're really killing it right now yeah. and there's a lesson in that one all, treat doesn't matter who you run into treat them with respect Absolutely. You know, and treat them with care um, because that's what you would want in return, I would imagine. And then also, this is anybody's game. This is anybody's game. True. So, yeah. yeah
1: it's yeah. funny you, you answered the question I was about to ask <laughs> you, which was okay. if you reflect on your career, what would you say was your biggest lesson? Um, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. Um, something I wanted to uh, say, and this is more um, just kind of um, local experience, right? Like, and what you've experienced um, as someone being from the area, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> what?
3: Merlin. <yeah, laughs> Merlin, <laughs> yes. Someone
1: who's, um, you know, from this area and has worked and lived and, you um, and flourished in the D.C. area and then has also lived and worked in the Baltimore area. They're very much, um, you know, different, uh, different scenes in a lot of ways. And it's been Mm -hmm. great to see over the years, like uh, the work that the two scenes have started doing together and merging more. Mm -hmm. Um, But what are some of the lessons that you pulled away from working in those two different areas? um, That is maybe something that other artists could kind of tap into to help further themselves?
2: Yeah, so I think I'll start with Baltimore because I was introduced to Baltimore uh, by way of a a job that I got after school, after undergrad, and um, definitely got active on the spoken word scene after losing my job during the Great Recession. And I remember, Baltimore audiences are very honest. -hmm. Extremely honest, (laughs) extremely. So if like I, I knew, I always knew when my work was connecting, because people would let me know either by completely ignoring me or just being involved. And that doesn't necessarily mean them applauding, but like maybe there's Mm -hmm. like a call and response that's Mm -hmm. happening, you know, or a head bob or something. Um, But if it's trash, people don't pay attention there. Um. And so, I think for a lesson to take from that, you know, for artists, it's also a very um, corporate a it's a very corporate uh, thing to do, which is research and development, right? Mm-hmm. Trial and error, like it it can suck if you are terrible in front of a very honest audience, but at least you know, Man. right? And it, you don't just perform something once; you do it again and again and again. You try to perfect it. Um, mm-hmm. So, Baltimore definitely taught me how to. Um, perfect my art. D.C., being a native Washingtonian, um, the, the D.C. finesse mm-hmm. game is strong amongst uh, artists in D.C. But D.C. taught me how to uh, learn about um, being an artist from an institutional perspective. So uh, through D.C., I learned about grants. I learned about accessing city resources. And those things are in, invaluable. And not just like getting grants, but serving on, on grant service again, right? Serving mm-hmm. on uh, grant review committees, being involved in the community. Um, also, you know, I think being a Native Washingtonian, being a Black Native Washingtonian from Brooklyn, uh, my view of the city, I have a very, very specific uh, view of DC. Uh, but the you know, the city has changed a lot and there's a lot of new people and which means there's a, a a lot of new music, there's a lot of new resources. And so just sort of you know, DC also helped me to get out of my own bubble and explore and like, you know, get to get to know people from different communities, get out of my comfort zone. Yeah. For
0: sure.
2: You gotta do that. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: You know, in, in addition to you know, being an educator, being a mentor. Performing, you also have, you know, something something really fun that we want to share. If Uh-oh. you could tell us more about your podcast, Grits and Gari.
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> I want to say that I'm making Grits and Gari a student project, but uh, and that is because, and you know, I'm very very proud of this. So I've been brought on as a producer and host of a podcast called, currently called S R P Unerased. Um, And if you the podcast is available on Spotify, and you know, Apple Music and wherever you listen to music. But that project is just a dream come true. Um, It's it was created by uh, Gwen McKinney. Uh, She is like our our fearless leader. And I feel so proud to be working on a very, very serious project. production that focuses on authentic um, Black women's stories, mm-hmm. um, just diverse perspectives of Black women. And then I've been able to talk to, you know, s- some heroes of mine, Susan Taylor, Julianne Malvo. Oh, wow. It's just been really great to, to talk to folks like that and um, learn not to fangirl. <laughs> okay. But no, it's, it's, a, it's a really, really beautiful um, podcast. And um, I'm, I'm really glad to be part of that team. It's a huge honor.
0: Oh, that's awesome! So, when do you
2: sleep? (laughs) Listen, I'm so remember. So, I was talking to you about that pie, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I'm not doing all this at once, right? At all. Like, there's like you know a quarter of the year where I'll really be into to making music. Like, this is the summer month. These are the summer months now, Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm there. Feeling very creative. Yeah. Then there's a part of the year where I'm chiefly focused on my students. But during that time, it's I should say if I'm very active in one area, then I'm you know making sure that I'm sort of like laying tracks in another area. So that yeah. when I want to put this thing down, this one is ready to go. Right. And I'm like I try not to overlap because then I get sleepy. Yeah. And yeah. cranky. <laughs> um but I and I also don't do everything by myself. I mean Mashiva King is has been my teammate for the past 11 years and she who runs the Carolyn Malachi show Mashiva King. Yeah. Yes. Um she's a godsend. I have you know a lot of friends and a lot of family members who help as well. So I, I'm never alone and I'm never doing this all by myself at all ever but um, you know, we all work together to make sure we can just roll on to the next thing. And we're all always reskilling, always retooling. Um, yeah.
0: Beautiful. Well, before we roll out, my our last question that I have for you is um, because we we've spoken to, you know, being multi-talented and doing these things, granted, not all at the same time, but as a vocalist, poet, rapper, producer, engineer, and educator. If you had to choose only one to do for the rest of your life, which
2: one would it be? That's easy. Educator at Howard University, because (laughs) as an educator, we're required to stay active in our craft. So there you go. There you go. Either way, I win.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a win-win. No, that's yeah. great. So. That's great. Well, Dude. this is amazing. Thank you all. Oh no, thank you. Oh, thank you. This was, was
1: awesome. Really yeah, no, definitely uh, appreciate you for making the time. And you know, the I mean, you've had an amazing journey, and and it's been it's been dope to watch um, and and collaborate from time to time. And you know, yeah, man. It's just, yeah, man, just super proud of you. And, um, you know, you're, you're the prime example of why we do this, right? Mm-hmm. Like one of the, Absolutely. um, one of the, uh, catchphrases that we use is, um, you know, to describe this is my friends are dope. Like almost every guest that, um, that we've interviewed, they are people that we have relationships with, mm-hmm. right? Like they there are actual friends and, um, um, or people that we just really believe in what they do. And, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to teach people to kind of just look, look closer to them, because I think a lot mm-hmm. of times artists who are coming up um, and really trying to make a name for themselves. They oftentimes look outside of their circle um, mm-hmm. for saviors or opportunities or people that will lift them up. Um, and they don't realize that a lot of the people who are going to help you along your journey are, are standing with you already mm-hmm. um, or are, you know, are just uh, maybe a few open mics away or a few <laughs> whatever, away um, or in that same classroom with you. Right. Because mm-hmm. uh, some of the guests have been college, um, you know, friends of ours and um, but everyone has seen success in a lot of different ways. And and your career has been amazing to follow because you keep redefining su- uh, success for yourself. And that's that's what it's all about. And it's beautiful to see. And so, you know, we're hoping people listen or, or watch and are inspired by your journey and they they follow you so they can keep um you know finding more inspiration you right. know
2: what i mean so oh, and something I, has to, i'm sorry go ahead no i'm just gonna say i'm i'm really i appreciate that and um yeah i'm just i'm just always learning
0: yeah yeah i was just gonna say it just it's something to be said about also the fact that you're back home you know i mean you could mm-hmm. be literally anywhere, anywhere in the world
3: but you're, but here, you're here and
0: be at Howard University. At that, you know, mm-hmm. having been born and raised here and to come back and to give back, I think, you know, is amazing. So, I think that was. I think that's great. I think that's great. And we okay. wish you nothing but the best, continued success, Absolutely.
1: in everything that you do. Absolutely. Oh, and,
0: thank
1: you. Yeah, yeah, and and thank you to um, our audience and stuff, the people who watched it live, and the people who will be listening later. We yeah. appreciate all of you. Um, definitely uh, follow Carolyn. Um, you know, she, uh, besides making amazing mu- uh, music, she's also making an impact um, in her community and abroad. So definitely support what she's doing. All right.
2: All right. So we appreciate Thank you, so you much. sis. We are. And, uh, <laughs> Likewise. Thank you for man. your impact, too.
1: Oh, man. Listen, you know, we are a reflection <laughs> of the company we keep. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So, yeah, man. But, um, But on that note, folks, uh, we just wanted to um, do a a couple quick things before we go. Uh, First and foremost, if you haven't um, liked or subscribed um, to our channel yet, make sure you like the video, subscribe to the channel, um, drop a comment if you can. Most importantly, share it. Right. Like it's great information that other people can benefit from. uh, So definitely uh, be sure to share it. Um, And then also, if you feel like donating um, to the channel. Um, feel free to do so. No pressure. Will be all right. You know what I mean. But like, if you if you're moved to do so, if the spirit moves you, <laughs> high five for Jesus. Go ahead with it. Amen. You know what I'm saying. what I'm talking about. And then the last thing I uh, wanted to point out also um, for those who don't know, we have a book that just released a children's book called All oh, Right, Please. Yeah. So hold on. Just slide that in the screen, boom. You know what I'm saying? We have a children's book that just released called She Sees. um, And it is about our beautiful children. Um, It is written by me. It is edited by Rochelle and illustrated by Luna Bunny. So definitely check that out. The the response has been amazing. And yeah, like we were prepared, but we weren't. Um, (laughs) So thank you. Thank you all, man. Like from the book club folks who we've spoken to, to... um, just all types of people who've been showing love about the book and people who've been inspired by seeing these little black girls and seeing themselves in these um, black children. So yeah, thank y'all uh, so much for the support. So just wanted to make sure we said that before we left and all that good stuff. And it's available on our website, subartmusic.com along with more episodes of artistry. Yes. <laughs> all right. So on that note, we are out for real, for real, Carolyn, once again, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, thank you. Have you. a great one. And uh, we're going to go ahead and get this part in music popping. And yeah, peace, y'all. Thanks for listening to Artistry, where art Beats industry. This podcast has been brought to you by Substantial Art and Music. For more information, please visit www.subartmusic.com. You can also follow us on social media at Sub Art and Music. We'll see you soon. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.